When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick is brought to you by SeatGeek, the smartest way to buy and sell tickets. Welcome to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week's guest is Chris Collins, head coach of Northwestern Men's Basketball. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick, powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, JJ Reddick. Welcome back to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Really happy with my guest this week. It's Chris Collins. He's the head coach of uh, Northwestern men's basketball. He was my assistant coach at Duke. I've known him for a long time. Someone that I consider uh, to be the older brother that I never had. He gives a great interview and has some really funny stories about my younger years in life. So, Please stay tuned for that. We are going to jump right in to some questions. Earlier, I had tweeted out that I was going to answer some questions on this week's podcast, and let's get right into those. I'm going to answer three questions. All right, question number one is, what is the day-to-day itinerary of an NBA player? The person who asked this question uh, wanted to get some insight into our itinerary, specifically on like a five-game road trip. As luck would have it, we have a long road trip coming up today, Monday, and uh, we'll just go through the itinerary. So we'll we'll take off this morning from Los Angeles, fly about two and a half to three hours to San Antonio. We'll lose two hours in the process, so we'll get in sometime in the late afternoon. We'll head straight to the gym, and we'll do a, a light shoot around along with the walkthrough. The following morning, we'll get up. We'll have another shoot around and walk through. Generally speaking, most NBA players take a nap in the afternoon before the game. So I'll jump, take a nap, usually an hour and a half or so. And then I will take the second bus. I get there uh, right about an hour and a half before the game, and I jump right into my pregame routine. And most players now in the NBA have a similar pregame routine to what I do. And I, I start with my training staff. We do some hip mobility, some ankle mobility. Then I go see our strength coach. I do some glute, hamstring, and core activation. Then I go stretch on the court, and I do some ball handling. And then I work with one of our player development coaches and do a quick shooting routine. I usually finish up with about 37 on the clock. I jump in. We have our meeting. We play the game. Generally speaking, you jump right onto the bus, onto another plane. Tomorrow will be the same. We'll leave San Antonio. We'll go to Houston. Houston, we'll get up, do a walkthrough, shoot around because it's a back-to-back. We no shoot around. We'll just do a walkthrough in the hotel. And then the same routine for the game. Back-to-backs with Doc, we always stay over on the road, so we'll stay over in Houston. We'll go over to Memphis right after that on the next afternoon. We'll practice on Friday, probably about an hour and a half or two hours, uh, most guys will get a lift in that day as well, get some tissue work. Uh, we got another back-to-back this weekend, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, so we'll play in Memphis, then we'll jump on a plane right after the game and go to New Orleans. You know, one of the things, even on non-back-to-backs, is when you're on a road trip, and let's say you play Monday, Wednesday, Friday, there's a good chance, you know, you're going to leave right after the game Monday, right after the game Wednesday, and so on, and then you get back to, let's say, L.A., you know, late Friday night, early Saturday morning. So really the travel is, is a hard part of the job because a lot of times we're landing in cities and getting to hotels at two or three in the morning. So, you know, sleep is at a premium sometimes. All right, let's go to question number two. Based on our guest today, one of my former coaches at Duke, Chris Collins, question number two has to do with Duke. I was asked, what is my most memorable experience or game at Duke? By far, the, the greatest experience I had that has anything to do with Duke was getting my jersey retired. For me, that was sort of the ultimate uh, reward for my four years at Duke. 
something I dreamed about as a kid for a specific game two really come to mind. Uh, the first would be my senior year, our home game against Miami. I hit a three pointer, uh, from the left corner, right in front of our bench. It was right in front of Johnny Dawkins and that three pointer broke the Duke scoring record. And for me, I had no idea what the ACC scoring record was, but you know, I had mapped out my freshman year, how many points I needed to score each year to break Johnny Dawkins record. Johnny Dawkins record was on my radar so for me, that was a big deal to break uh, that record. And to have Johnny there three feet away when I hit the shot was pretty cool too. The other game that comes to mind is the ACC championship game my freshman year against NC State. Listen, I played the ACC tournament in my backyard like 50 times. Uh, I mean, I would simulate games. I'd play it all the way through. I'd always be on Duke and Growing up, you know, I just that was something I had dreamed about doing for so long. I grew up in Virginia. It's ACC country. College basketball is is a really big part of the culture there. And so that was my first time playing in the ACC tournament. We get to the championship game and we're down 15 points with about 10 minutes to go. And uh, up until that point, I'd had a pretty quiet game. But over the last 10 minutes, I scored 23 points. Uh, Dante Jones, Daniel Ewing hit some big shots. And we came all the way back and, and beat NC State and won. And it was, I think, something like the fifth straight uh, ACC championship uh, for Duke in the tournament. So uh, that was uh, a very, very cool experience for me to do that as a freshman. Those are my two favorite Duke games of my career. All right, last question for the week. This is a kind of a question that I've I wanted to address on here. Uh, someone had asked me on Twitter, Uh, Would I consider coaching after I'm done with my playing career? You know, I'm going to piggyback answering that question with kind of asserting something else, but I don't see myself coaching. And the reason why is because, you know, I really want to have a career when I'm done playing that allows me to to be at home for the majority of the time. I've, I've spent the better part of my adult life on the road, basically half the time. You know, I've I've got a family now, and the coaching lifestyle is is taxing. Um, there, you know, whether it's college or the NBA, uh, you're going to be on the road. You're going to be breaking down film. You're going to be planning and prepping for practices and games. Uh, it's a lot of hard work. And uh, while I do love the game, you know, I, I do have to factor in, you know, travel time when I'm done playing. So I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm not going to coach 100%, but it's not something that I'm really considering at this point. You know, there's a, I think there's a natural tendency because I, I'm doing this podcast and uh, I've done a few uh, appearances on ESPN and, and things like that, that, you know, I want to be a broadcaster. I want to go into the media uh, when I'm done playing and listen, nothing set in stone. I make no assumptions. I'm very interested in having a career, but I don't know what my life's going to look like when I'm done playing. And so, you know, I don't want to commit to anything. And and so for me, this experience with uh, doing the podcast and and putting myself out there a little bit more since I've been in Los Angeles uh, with the media and with opportunities such as going on ESPN or something like that uh, has been great. And I've learned a lot and I've really enjoyed it. And it's definitely piqued my interest for for post-career. So I would say that would be something I'm interested in. And then you know, I've mentioned this before, but uh, I'm really interested in going back to school and getting my MBA and going to a business school. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. I don't. I don't. You know. I don't know what what life looks like in four years. It, it. I may get a sweetheart deal, and you know, some team offers me a guaranteed contract for coaching, and I can't turn it down. You never know what's going to happen. So, uh, for right now, uh, I'm I'm enjoying learning about uh, different fields. And uh, like I said, the media stuff is, has been awesome. And, you know, I read a lot about finance. I actually did start studying for the GMAT, which is the uh, kind of the qualification entrance exam for MBA schools. I started studying for that last year. So I'm dabbling a bit right now, but hopefully I'll play for another uh, four or five years. All right, guys, I want to take a second to tell you about this great company called Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon is making socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants. I swear to you, it's the most comfortable stuff that you'll ever wear. 
Believe me, it's better than whatever you're wearing right now. All right, Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. I went on the website. The shopping experience was seamless. It was very easy. I picked out a bunch of stuff, got it sent to me. It's the most comfortable stuff I've worn. Mack Weldon's goal for you is that they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they'll still refund you. No questions asked. Not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too. I wore mine the other day just to work out. You can wear them on dates. You can wear them to the park with your son. I swear, I wear them almost every day. They're great for everyday life. I got a deal for you too. If you go to MacWeldon.com, you get 20% off using the promo code JJ. So that's it. That's super easy. Just go to MacWeldon.com, use the promo code JJ. You'll get 20% off. Pick out some socks, some underwear, some sweatshirts, some hoodies, some underwear, whatever you need. And I promise you, it'll be the most comfortable stuff you've ever worn. All right, and we're now joined by Chris Collins, head coach of the Northwestern men's basketball team. Chris was my former coach at Duke, an assistant for Coach K for a number of years and a former player at Duke. Chris, I really appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, it's great to be on. It's uh, kind of wild, the the two of us going back to you being about 16 years old. I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would be a guest on a podcast being run by you, but it's a we, pretty cool we, thing. When we met, we didn't even know what podcasts were. I don't even know if, I don't even know if an iPod existed back then. Exactly. You did know how to shoot back then, so that was, yeah, that yeah. was a good thing. Uh, that's funny. No, so actually, we did meet summer of 2000. I believe it was in July. You had just gotten the assistant coaching job at Duke. I had just turned 16 years old. Uh, we met at I think Orlando at the Nike Super Showcase or something along the lines of that. I was your first Duke recruit. I have to ask you, though, like, was I the easiest recruit you've ever had as a college coach? Like, you guys gave me the whole dog and pony show and recruited me and gave me all the pitches. But, I mean, I had to be the the easiest recruit ever. It was a done deal. You know what? For me, it was good, though, because that was really my first experience with recruiting. So I had been a player at Duke. I had gotten the job at Duke at the end of July, there was a trickle-down effect as as dominoes always go. It started with Matt Doherty going from Notre Dame to UNC, which led to Mike Bray getting the Notre Dame job, which then led to a Duke assistant, David Henderson, getting the Delaware job, which then opened up the spot for me to uh, to leave Seton Hall, where I was with Tommy Amaker, to to come to Duke, and I, I didn't really have anything to do with recruiting. Uh, when I was at Seton Hall, I did a lot of player development. I did a lot of game planning, scouting, all that stuff. So all of a sudden, I get the job, and, and they asked me to go to Orlando to the Disney complex, and I was kind of a shooter back in the day. So coach is like, we got this kid who can really shoot it. We like him. He's from Roanoke. He loves Duke. Just want you to put your eyes on him and, and see kind of what you think. So, you know, I, I pop in, and lo and behold, the Boo Williams Hampton Road squad rolls in, and they're playing, uh, I want to say it was the Gauchos or Riverside Church, or it was one of the it New was, York City teams. It was, uh, it was Julius Hodges. It was Julius Hodges. I know team. it was Julius Hodges. I was going to I can't remember. Up, I can't remember what, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what AAU team he played Yeah, it was for. some New York City team, and in true New York City fashion, there was a lot of, there was a lot of chatter uh, in layup lines. Yeah. There was a lot of hooting yeah. and hollering. And uh, I just remember, you know, the game started and, and Julius Hodge, great player, by the way, had a great career. Great in player, state, great and, player. But he, uh, he also was one of the all-time talkers. And uh, he would Great trash like talker, <laughs> no question. And, uh, you know, he set his sights in on you early. And uh, it was great for me because, you know, I was always one, too, as a player. I wasn't nearly as good as you, but... I was one that enjoyed to to get into a little trash talking banter from time to time, and um, you hit like two thirty five footers back to back and got right up in Hodge's face and and gave him a little bit of his own medicine and and came right back at him and I knew right there uh, it was kind of love at first sight, you know as as they always say, you know the two loves was see, meeting my wife for the first time and seeing you do that on that day oh, were my two one of my two greatest moments but uh, I remember then coming to Roanoke and getting a chance to see you with your high school team and your environment and meeting your family and 
you know, you guys came and made a visit and, and bang, you committed. I, I thought I was just some great recruiter. I mean, it, it was like yeah. one, one shot deal. Like this thing is easy, man. Is this, this, how this works all the time? Uh, but it was, uh, it was awesome. And it just, it seems like yesterday, it's so wild now watching you play and being in the NBA and having a family and, and yourself and just remembering those days like it was yesterday. And, I got to admit, though, I got to ask you, at what point did you go from, like, the Roanoke, Virginia boy to the designer watches and, like, the dress and all that <laughs> stuff? I mean, at what point did that switch? Oh, man. I, I think was, it was it Orlando? A, was it L.A.? It was a gradual was it thing. It, no, was it? it was a gradual thing. You know, it's it's it starts with, like, your first Gucci pair of loafers your rookie year, and then eventually you're you're getting a side part with a sleeve tattoo, you know? It just, yeah, I mean... It's a snowball the, effect. It's been thing, 10 years now, so... People don't remember when we came for the home visit, one of the great things was, you know, as an assistant coach, you always have to line up. Coach K and I were going to come visit with your family. You're allowed to do these in-home visits and kind of sit down and have dinner and all these things and so I'm talking to your mom and dad and kind of we set the date and the time and you know I get the address from your dad and you know I say Ken you know I'll just put it in the GPS and you know we'll we'll get up there and he said no you know you're the GPS is not going to work with our house and so he kind of walked me through getting to your house in Roanoke that you know first of all I'll never forget it was 12 o'clock Knob Road was I, I believe that was the uh, yeah that the was address. that was the main well I, it's not a main street but we actually lived on Lost Mountain Road which okay, was right so off there you go but it was uh, and then Ken proceeded to give me directions as if like he said look you're going to see a big boulder on the left hand <laughs> side of the road and at that point I want you to put the uh, odometer on and and it's going to be 1.1 miles and there's going to be a dirt road you're going to take a right hand turn. You're going to go up the hill. You're going to see a big tree on your left-hand side, and then you're going to make another right. And that was kind of how he navigated me to the house. That, that and, sounds about right. <laughs> and right. Uh, we got up to the uh, to the Reddick household and had a great night. And it was just uh, obviously the start of an amazing relationship that has led to a lot of really special things. It is crazy to think that it's been 16 years, which is more than half my life since I committed to you guys. What one clarification on on the house thing though? Like, <laughs> I, I I didn't have neighbors like in my life till I moved to Orlando my rookie year. I never lived in a neighborhood. My parents, you know, when we lived in Tennessee, they like lived on a commune with four other families out in the middle of nowhere. And then, you know, we lived in Charlottesville for a while and Roanoke for eleven years. And uh, yeah, never had neighbors. So your description of the directions to my home is, is pretty spot on. I'm pretty sure you and coach could, could get back there. <laughs> For you guys in recruiting me, we had a pretty strong recruiting class. Sheldon Williams, Shavlik Randolph, Michael Thompson, Sean Dockery, Lee Melchioni, and myself. You know, what was your expectation level for me? Because for, you know, for me, I grew up a Duke fan and I had watched you play. I'd watched Wojo play. You know, Trajan Langdon was sort of my idol, the guy that I really wanted to be like at Duke. And, um, you know, for me to have the career that I did, I'd be honest with you, it surpassed all of my expectations. Yeah, you know, uh, I would probably agree with that. You know, you were someone that was the foundation of that class. I'll never forget. I still have a piece of paper. I don't know if if I've ever even told you this. I have a a piece of paper, uh, Wojo, who's obviously now doing a great job, head coach at Marquette. He and I were the assistants that did a lot of the recruiting together for 13 years at Duke. And when I first got the job, he and I were stranded one night, one of those recruiting. We were in the St. Louis airport. We had gone to see a young man by the name of David Lee. And obviously that didn't really work out that well. He chose to go to Florida. But we were stranded in the St. Louis airport that night, and uh, we had a couple hours to spare. And and you know we were in the hotel, uh, you know bar, having a beverage, and uh, we we pulled out a piece of paper and we outlined what we wanted. It was going to be our kind of our first class together, and it was a big class because you guys were going to be on the heels of Jason Williams, Mike Dunleavy, Carlos Boozer, yep, Shane Battier. Right. So right. I mean, it was a class that was desperately needed to be a home run class 
to fill the shoes of guys that were obviously really good players and became great pros. And so we wrote down and it became what we called it like our, our recruiting Bible. And you were the first name on the list on that Bible. So, you know, it was you and Sheldon and Shav and, and obviously Sean Dockery was a guy we really liked out of Chicago. And we ended up getting Lee Melchione and Michael Thompson in the class. But it's fun to look back now, kind of putting that in fruition. And um, we felt that you could be an impact player. There's no question about it. Like there was, I mean, I always just, there was something about you I always loved because just, you know, I saw obviously a lot of myself and you just, I thought you were better than me. I would never tell you that. Mm-hmm. would never tell you that even to this day, but thought you were right. better, thought you could be better than what I was, but just kind of what you brought to the table and loved how you played, loved how you led, loved your competitive fire, your streak. And, but I really didn't know, you know, that if I were to say that I thought you were going to be national player of the year and all-time leading scorer and all those things, I would probably be lying because I didn't know that you could be that good. But uh, we did feel like that you had a chance to be an all-league player and, and someone that could make a big difference and a big impact in our program. You mentioned uh, some intangibles, uh, leadership. Uh, I know Coach said to me one time that the first time he ever saw me at a recruiting event, he noticed that in between my team's games, I was watching other teams play. And he said, I could just tell you love the game. For you at Duke and even now at Northwestern, what's the one thing, if there was one thing that you look for in a high school player, besides skill, obviously you want guys that, you want horses, you want guys that can hoop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there was one thing that you looked for in a player, what would that be? Well, and this is something that's really hard to judge. You you hope to do your best with watching him play over and over, high school, AAU, all these settings. But, you know, to me, the burning desire and competitive fire to become great and to compete, to fight. I mean, I, I just, I think that's one of the most under talked about skills or traits. And a lot of times it's hard because until you get somebody day to day, you really don't know, you know, what, what's burning inside of them. And, you know, really to me, that is why, I mean, you're very talented and, you know, you've accomplished a lot of great things, but, you know, the two things that I think people don't give you enough credit for, your competitiveness and your toughness. You know, I just think those are two things, competitiveness and toughness, that are so undervalued. And I think you had those things and have them still at an amazing level, not at a good level, an amazing level. Like you you have a fire inside of you that, that burns bright all the time it burns all the time you were super competitive you would fight for yourself for your teammates to win and you know i I always go back and it probably i still have it and you know i think you gave it to me a copy i I remember there was an email you wrote me when you were a junior in high school and it's like two o'clock in the morning and i couldn't sleep you you couldn't sleep sleep. because all you were thinking about were the things you wanted to accomplish at duke You know, the championships you wanted to win and, you know, the things you wanted to accomplish individually. And when I read that email, it's there's no wonder to me that you've done what you've done. And that's why even there were so many doubts, even after everything that you accomplished in college, NBA teams that would call me and say, you know, is JJ going to be athletic enough? Who can he guard? You know, is he going to be able to get his own shot? And I used to tell all those teams, I used to tell everybody, listen, you know, he might not be able to run, outrun guys, outjump guys. You know, you can say this about what his limitations are, but he is going to figure it out. He's going to figure it out because there's a fire in him that is not going to allow himself to be denied. He's going to figure out how to be a really good pro. And I knew that, and, and you've even surpassed what I thought you could do as a pro. I mean, that's – but to me, the two traits, to answer your question, to go back, yeah. are competitiveness and toughness. And I, I think yeah. those are two things that, you know, a player needs to have at a high level if he really wants to be great. No question. I would add love of the game, too, which I think all yeah. three of those things kind of go hand in hand. And for a high school kid, you know, especially a good high school player – there's probably not a lot that has gone wrong on the court for him. And so going to college may be the first time where he really gets challenged. And so to your point, it is difficult to kind of figure out if a high school kid has that fight 
Because, listen, if you're a really talented high school player, things are going to come fairly easy for you. You know, for myself, they came fairly easy in high school. And then I got to Duke and had a pretty good freshman year. But my sophomore year, uh, although I was our team's leading scorer, it was a disastrous year for me. We were good enough to win it all. Uh, We had six guys that played in the NBA on our team. And, you know, I was not worthy to win a championship as coach told me after the season. And it was a very tough year for me personally. And, you know, one of the things that happened that year was you and I became very close. And although there were times, and I I remember even having my sisters to Duke campus uh, in December of that year, you know, even in the first semester and telling them that I wanted to quit basketball, that I couldn't deal with the pressure of playing at Duke anymore. You know, so there were moments when I wanted to quit and, and, and you were there for all those steps you know, what was that like for you? I was your first recruit. You saw a little bit of yourself in me. And now I'm kind of throwing away this incredible opportunity of, of playing at Duke. And, you know, I've said this before, but basically I wanted to be in a fraternity. I, I was acting like I, I was a frat kid <laughs> instead of, you know, holding myself to the standard of being a Duke basketball player. Well, I think for everybody, and you're a perfect example, like, Every journey is, it's not going to be unless you're just some freak of nature, which the percentage of those guys in the world is very, very slim. And even they go through their ups and downs. Uh, I think your journey is one of the most amazing stories to be told because everybody sees the finished product and everybody saw the guy who became the nation's hero and villain. But to me, to be a villain, you got to be a hero. And to be loved, you got to be res- and hated, you got to be respected. And you were all those things. And for you to get to that point, eventually, you had to go through your journey, you had to go through your tough times. You know, all of a sudden, like you said, you were this kid from Roanoke who kind of lived a simple life. You know, you, you were up there in the mountains, you had a great high school coach, you had a great family support, you had good friends. You know, things came easy on the court. You're very popular. You win a state championship. Now you come to Duke, and people, I don't think, realize the pressure cooker it is when you play in a place like Duke or Kentucky or Kansas, uh, one of these blue bloods that, you know, the the eyes are always on you, every decision, every game, every everywhere you go. And I think you struggled with that a little bit. You know, I think you were, you know, you're a good-looking kid. You could really play. You know, and I think part of you, you know, you, you wanted to be rebel at times. You know, you you didn't want to yeah. be that guy. You, you wanted to. Well, I, I, I wanted to escape. It was that, you yeah, know, that right. I wasn't, I don't think there was anything that growing up that could have prepared me for Duke. And, you know, a part of it for sure was rebellion. But the other part of it was, I, I don't want to deal with this. And it took some hard love. It took some hard love from you guys. Yeah, I mean, we, um, we had, and you know what, though? You look <laughs> back on those times, and to me, though, those those are the times that, you know, you really forge who you become as a man, as a person. And, you know, even though there were tough things at times that needed to be said, and I remember meetings, like, I couldn't believe sometimes some of the things that I said, but I, I knew yeah. what you were capable of. And the thing that really sticks to me, I mean, there were... And it's not like you, I mean, you, you fought it at times. I mean, you were the, you were the kid that it wasn't like, okay, I'm just going to listen and change. I mean, I remember one time, you know, it's, I was struggling so much with trying to reach you. I didn't know where else to turn. And I actually called your father and, and he got in the car and drove from Roanoke. And I called you into a meeting. I don't know if you even remember that, where I told you to come meet me in the office and you opened the door and your dad was sitting there. You guys ambushed me. You guys now. I could. I can't remember if that was the meeting. It may have been a different one because there was a lot of them that year. But you did call me a con artist at one point that year. A con artist and a fraud. Um, <laughs> here's the thing, though. Like you, you guys, you guys are good. You guys are slick because you, you and Coach both. Like it wasn't. You guys didn't cuss me out. You didn't call me names. You really got to the core of me. You called me a con artist and a fraud. <laughs> Coach told me I wasn't worthy to win a championship. Like these, I'm 19 when you guys are telling me this. By the way, I don't even. I'm not even sure I know what a con artist is at this point in my life. <laughs> It was tough. The, the thing, though, that I do remember the conversation that we did have when, when you finally, 
finally decided that you wanted to go for this. And part of it was, you know, we, we made you, we, we put a schedule together and kind of got everything in order and put you on a regimen. And, but, but I remember the conversation that kind of, kind of turned everything. And, and I always draw back on this. I remember, you know, like you said, you, it wasn't like you were a bad player. You were second team all ACC and probably at what you averaged 15, 16 a game and had some 30 point games and started on a team that went to the final four. And it wasn't like you were a bad player, but I do remember the conversation I had that just said the thing that was the most sad to me was that we'll never know how good you could be because you're not giving everything of yourself. And to me, that's what was sad. Like we, we never knew we were never going to find out because you could keep being the guy you could have kept been, you could have kept being that frat guy and you still would have scored 15, 18 a game. You still would have had big nights. You still would have won a lot of games. You still would have been a popular guy. You still might even have been a pro. But the thing that was sad to me was, and I don't know if that was something that got to you, you could probably answer that the most, but the thing that, that I remember is just saying, you know what, we'll ne- we're never going to know how great that J.J. Reddick could be because you're not giving everything of yourself. You're not in the best shape. You're not giving your whole heart into this. You're not working as hard as you can. You're not completely investing into this process. And until you do, we'll never know how good you can become. Yeah, it was like May 20th when this conversation <laughs> happened. No, I, I, re- I remember the date. Uh, we- <laughs> You and Wojo had tracked me down. I was actually, it was summer school had started, so the, the regular uh, session was over, and I had told my parents that. And let, them, let everybody was, know, J.J. was slick. He had told his parents that he was yeah. going to stick around in Durham for I, a couple was, days. And, I was going to stick around and finish it in and going complete. to Roanoke yeah. for a couple of days. Yeah. It was the old, the old okey-doke on both sides yeah. of the fence. Yeah. And, uh, and I was, I was boarded up at a buddy's apartment. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you guys tracked me down. I think Shavlik Randolph uh, yeah, let my he, whereabouts he be out. He was, he was <laughs> yeah, the he one did. who uh, finally gave the goods where you were. Yeah, but I remember, you know, you guys, you and Wojo grabbed me. We went up to Coach K's office, and I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. It's it's one of the most vivid memories of my life. Um, First of all, you guys dragged me through the office first. Thank you for that, because I hadn't shaved in about three weeks. I was about 225 pounds, so about 30 pounds overweight. I looked terrible. It was a humiliating experience, and to, to walk by our secretaries and our video guys and all our assistant coaches looking like that, so thank you. But the two things from that meeting, and that meeting is one of the, really the most important days of my life. But the one thing that stood out was how much you guys cared. So there was a sense that someone had my back, like I wasn't doing this alone. And, And that's one of the great lessons I learned at Duke is that you really can't do anything great alone. You need support. It's one of the reasons Coach K has been so great for so long at Duke. He has an incredible support system there. The second thing is kind of adding on what you were saying, but I remember the one of the things you said was, um, you know, you can continue to do what you do. You'll be an okay player. You, you might get all ACC, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, you can fully invest and you'll go down as one of the greatest players ever at Duke, maybe one of the greatest players ever in the ACC, and you'll be a pro. And for me, it was like, hold on a second. That's the things that I've dreamed of since I was eight years old. And I'm going to not do that because of what? And there really wasn't a valid reason for me to not fully invest. And maybe part of it was fear. I don't know. But yeah, I, I mean, after that, it was this, that summer was fully invested. You had me on a schedule. I worked out every day. Uh, I got in incredible shape. So my junior year, you know, had a great year, Just come back from my senior year. My favorite story from my senior year is the ACC championship game. <laughs> yes. I had Jared Dudley was my guest. So we've talked about this <laughs> game before, but no, but we haven't talked about what happened. So it's like early second half. Yes. And by the way, uh, you know, I was actually having a decent game up to this point. It wasn't like I was like non-existent. Yeah, but you were but, acting like a baby in the game. So it was like, you, whatever. You, you guys had gone at me at halftime, and at <laughs> about 18.42 in the second half, like a minute into the second half, you guys well, saw me Well, you have to let out. me tell it because uh, I tell it much better than you tell it. But it was, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was interesting, and, you know, I've always – Obviously, Coach K was your coach, and I've always, you know, I had a sister growing up, and I always kind of viewed you as my younger brother and, you know, tried to treat you as such with, 
everything, giving you everything I could to kind of be that big brother for you uh, as you went through the process. And sometimes big brothers have to, you know, tough love, tough, not, not only tough love, but you know, brothers know what little brothers need to, and you were playing pretty good, but BC was a really good team. I mean, they were loaded, you know, with Jared and, and Sean Williams and, uh, you know, they had Craig, they Smith. had Craig Smith, who was a pro, obviously, and they were physical, and they always used to try to rough you up. I mean, just try to hit you and get under your skin and knock you around. And, you know, here you are, this legendary career. We're playing in Greensboro, and we're playing B.C., and it's a hell of a game, and it's going back and forth. But you're whining for calls. You're you're acting like a baby that day for whatever reason. You were a little, little bit little bit on edge, maybe just wanted it so badly, wanted to cap it off with a championship. And so early second half, it's a tight game. And I just leaned over to Coach K. And I just always felt like I knew, I mean, as coaches, you, you want to know what gets to your players, what gets them going. And, you know, I knew you were a guy, like, if you got mad, if you could get angry, that it would get you out of whatever you were into that day. And I just knew my instincts told me that I was going to have to piss you off. And so I said to Coach K, I said, Coach, Coach, take J.J. out for a minute. Cause, and, like, that was a big thing. I mean, I think you averaged, like, 39 minutes. You, you never came out of games. So for you to I, come out. I never out, came out of games with 18.42 to go in the second half, yeah, for sure. So I, said, I said, Coach, I said, take J.J. out for a minute. I, I need to talk to him. So you come out, you come to the bench, you kind of, you know, first of all, you give that look like, why am I coming out of the game? Um, for sure. And you I sit do. down and there's someone sitting between me and you. I forget who it was. I'd have to look, but there was, it might've been another coach. It might've, but there was one or two people in between us. And I remember in my head just saying, I got to get him pissed off. I, I got to get him mad at me. I got to get him mad at me to just get him angry. And so I just, under my breath, just start saying, you're such a brat. I can't believe you're acting like this. This is your last ACC game. This is how you're going to go out. I can't believe you're being a little punk today. And you're, I could feel the steam coming out of your ear. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, finally you snap back and you... You're allowed to say um, F-words on this, by the way. You can, you yeah, can cuss you know, if you it's, want. It's, uh, so <laughs> no, I'm you, just you might have dropped a couple F-bombs yeah. and told me to go somewhere and yeah. you know, and, and all of a sudden. And I leaned over to Coach K and I said, Coach, he's ready to go back in. <laughs> and yeah. You checked back in and I think you hit three threes in about 65 seconds. I mean, I don't, I don't know, but it, I mean, it, it was, was absolutely it was three, It was three straight possessions. They, yeah, they, it was they three, three, three. Basically, it was game over. You just took it over like you could do, like nobody else did for a long time in college. And, and, and basically, just from that moment on, and you know, afterwards, I, I remember seeing your family, and, and your mom was actually in tears because she saw us yelling at each other. And she didn't like that because she knew how much that, you know, we cared about each other. And she, and I had to tell her that that was just big brother kind of getting little brother ready to play better. Yeah. And it was all good. And, uh, and certainly it was because we went yeah, down, was. you know, went out with our, uh, our last ACC title. That yeah, was a great game. What it was probably my second favorite ACC championship game. I know your dad was sitting next to my mom and they were literally <laughs> right behind the bench. <laughs> and she gave him the look like, what's going on? And and Doug leans over. He's like, it's okay. It's okay, Jeannie. They're brothers. <laughs> they got this. <laughs> so it was, it was, I mean, it was noticeable. Like the media was asking, it was like a spat. Yeah. Like we were screaming yeah. at each other. And yeah. It, it well, in this day, in this day and age with social media, it probably would have been a bigger deal than, <laughs> uh, than it was back then. Uh, somebody and with a with a camera phone sitting behind the bench would have would have had that for sure. Would have recorded so, it, and yeah. uh, we would have been real proud of what we were saying. But right. but uh, it was it was one of my favorite stories, and obviously those are the things people don't realize when you're on a team. It's it's times like that. It's times at practices. It's times when you're traveling. I mean, that's the beauty of being on a team, and you know the moments you share. And there were like I, I don't think sometimes people who aren't in it they don't realize you know, the power of, of those moments more so than even just playing the games. Oh, for sure. And I think too, and, and you may be, cause you're, you're done playing, but I think that's the thing that people miss the most when they finish, when they retire or, you know, even for a high school athlete or, uh, you know, an athlete that maybe plays only up to college, 
Um, I know my sister, you know, that's the thing she talks about all the time is just a camaraderie you have with your teammates. And that's the part of the, the sport that you miss, you know, even maybe more so than the game itself sometimes. Yeah, and, and really in college, as you know, I mean, you get it somewhat, and, and I know you have some good friendships there with the Clippers, but there's nothing like playing college sports. I mean, I think even the guys in the NBA would admit, you know, and, and when it comes to that kind of stuff, your time in college is just so special. You, you, never, you never have anything like that. You know, even if you go on to the pros, it's just a special time. And you spend so much time together, and you do so much, and the experiences and the camaraderie, it's uh it's pretty cool. Speaking of the end of college sports, one of my toughest moments as a player and, and certainly one of my toughest moments at Duke is also probably one of the proudest moments I've had in my life, and that's when we lost to LSU. Um, you and I walked off the court arm in arm. I don't even know if we said anything to each other, and I guess someone had taken a picture of it, and I still have the photo framed in my office to this day of of me and you walking off the court, I've got tears in my eyes and you got your arm around me. Like you're saying, it's, it, you know, a big brother thing. And, and it, it was amazing, you know, over the course of six years from the time you started recruiting me and, and making pit stops at Dairy Queen on your way up to Roanoke. Um, to, <laughs> that was Coach that. K, by the way. No, all right. We all know you <laughs> like some DQ. Um, no, but the, over the course of that six years, uh, just an amazing friendship, you know, evolved with you and, it's a, just another reminder, honestly, of how important it is to to have people in your life that, that have your back and, and care for your well-being and care and want the best for you. And, and certainly you've done that for the last 16 years of my life. I can't thank you enough. I do want to say, though, occasionally when you send me a text after a game, it would be nice if you just gave me a compliment as opposed to, you know, if I miss a layup, you know, and have 25 points, it's, oh, you missed a layup yesterday. It's never just positive. <laughs> There's always some sort of snide remark in there. Um, you can clean that up. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to get better at that. But, you know, it's just you, you got a lot of people telling you how great you are. And, and you need you need those people in your life that, that keep you grounded. And I always know, I mean, it's tough for me. You're on the West Coast now, so I got to stay up late. I'm getting older. Um, and a lot of times I have to just send you a text during the game because I know I'm going to fall asleep during the game and, and probably not going to get a chance to call you after. So I'll just, you know, if I see maybe an air ball or a missed free throw or runners, you, know, you love when I miss runners. That's the one shot. No, when you make all them over. because <laughs> that, that was the one thing I never, you were always really awkward with that shot. And not, I got to admit, I was, yeah. I've been very impressed that, Right. I never thought that you were going to be able to add, you know, that element to your game. And, and you know, you just never cease to amaze. People don't realize, you know, that's where the competitiveness and the toughness. I mean, one final story, you know, I basically, as a big brother, you always want to hold things over guys. And I would always kind of give you little snippets. And then you're just like obliterating every record in college. And so it's getting hard for me to have anything. And I remember it was like maybe even your last road game. It was one of your last road games. We were down in Tallahassee, and we're playing Florida State, and you're on this amazing tear, uh, you know. And, and so I, I casually said to you at the shoot-around, because I used to like to get some shots up while you guys were, that, hey, JJ, uh, you probably don't know this, but my senior year I had seven threes in here. And in your true fashion, as only you would do, Sure enough, you had to go out that night and hit eight threes. Yep. So, I mean, it was, again, like you could never allow me to just like have one thing to hold on to. You had to go out and, and put that down too. So, you know, when I have to get those comments in, it's it's getting harder with all the things you're accomplishing, but I'm I'm working hard to try to keep you grounded. All right. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> hey, Chris, hang on one second. I want to tell you about something. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated, and they all try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell tickets to your favorite NBA team and concerts. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to to look for tickets to a game. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone and just used it the other day to look at tickets for the Justin Bieber concert. SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events and SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. 
Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. They show you the full ticket price from start to finish and never try to trick you with huge fees on the checkout page. And my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Here's how to get your $20 rebate on tickets. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So go download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. Let's jump over and talk a little bit more about you and what's going on right now with you. You uh, just finished your third season at Northwestern. You guys set a school record for for wins and Big Ten wins. Um, have a great chance. Uh, we'll find out tomorrow to play in the postseason. I, I want to go back three years, though. And, and you had had multiple opportunities and, and interviews at other places. What was it about the Northwestern job specifically uh, when that became available that you said, you know, I want? Well, for Is me, it- as you know, I, I had a really great gig where I was. You right. know, it was Coach K not only being at Duke, which is special, and getting a chance to coach the best players who are also good guys from good families and being at a great school, a place I went. I mean, I loved everything about it, but as you can attest to, I was allowed to do a lot. Like, I, I, I was a lot of places yeah. the assistant coaches don't get a chance to do the things that Coach K allows his assistants to do on the floor coaching, part of game planning, talking to the team before the game media responsibilities. I mean, I, I felt like I was getting to do all the things that head coaches get to do. So I was in no rush to get out of there. I loved where I was. My family loved living there. I did, like everybody, you know, the you, you wanted to be able to see if you could do it on your own. I mean, that's you, you, you have to you have to branch out at some point and, and go for it and see if you can do it and, and be a head coach. And I was waiting for the right time, the right t- chance, the the right spot. And, you know, obviously for me, I grew up uh, in Chicago, uh, about 15 minutes from the Northwestern campus. Um, the school is very similar to the environment that, that I was so comfortable and loved at Duke. You know, the the commitment to all things, not just sports, but commitment to athletics, academics, social, just you're around, you're around top-notch people. And I also kind of liked the fact that there hasn't been the success in basketball. There hasn't been the tradition, you know, where a lot of people would be turned off by that. And a lot of people would say to me, like, why would you go somewhere where they've never won or never been to the tournament or never done it? you know, for me, and you know how I'm wired, like that excited me more. Like I just kind of, I wanted to be the guy to help get that done. And, you know, I I felt like it had great potential being in Chicago, playing in the big 10, providing great academics. Um, Certainly knew it was going to be, you know, uh, a process that wasn't going to happen overnight. But I also felt like if I was going to leave Duke, I wanted to go somewhere where I felt that I could eventually love it the way I love Duke. And I just felt Northwestern as a university and the people I met throughout the process, it had that potential. And I've loved, it's, it's been beyond my expectations. It was really scary coming in, really scary. You know, you're a rookie head coach. You don't really know what the hell's going on around you. You've never done it. You know, you're walking into a place where, you know, you're going to have to, to get out and recruit and get players and create a culture and hire a staff. And you're in the Big Ten that has Michigan State and Indiana and Ohio State and some big boys. And it was scary, really scary. And But that's where you trust your faith. You trust in yourself. You believe in your principles. Try to put a good team around you. And, you know, to be here three years later and to see the things we've accomplished to go from 14 wins to 15 wins now this year year three to win 20 and win eight league games and you know you you just feel like we're starting to have a program now and uh, it's uh, it's an exciting time I'm really proud of what we've done so far but I also know there's a lot like I for me everyone talks about going to the tournament because they've never done it here right. and that's like such a short-sighted goal to me I mean I I want to win big I have dreams of 
winning Big Tens and going to the Final Four and doing all those things. And you know, I think I have. I think we have the potential to to have a great program here. I think we have everything in place, and and now we just gotta you know get the players and continue to build on what we're doing and and hopefully uh, you know get there one day. But it's it's been a lot of fun and it's it's been a great process so far, and I'm I'm really excited about where we're headed. You have always struck me as someone that takes things very personally, and I know spending so much time around you, you take losing very personally. Was that the biggest challenge in transitioning from Duke to Northwestern, is kind of keeping keeping things in perspective, uh, maybe not taking losses so hard? I mean, at Duke, you have years where you lose three or four games, and, and now you're, you're 14 and 18 or whatever it was your, your first year looking at things from a big picture standpoint, was that the biggest challenge or were there more challenges that you had no idea you were in store for? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that has been the thing. I mean, I've always, I am where I am because I feel like I'm a great competitor and obviously I think I'm a hard worker and all those things, but I, Mm -hmm. I think I've willed a lot of things in my, just because I, I'm a fighter. I like to compete. And, and when you're in a situation where, you know, you're getting your ass handed to you. Like that's that ain't fun. That ain't fun. And you know, the thing as that's going on, though, the thing that I tried to tell myself is, though, I can't become numb to the losing because the moment you become numb to right. the losing, then I'm losing myself because that's not who I am. So, I mean, I went through a stretch last year, even in year two, we lost ten consecutive games in our conference. And that was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to go through in my career uh, in basketball because it is my team that I'm responsible for. And you go out and for a six-week period, you don't win for six weeks. I mean, and and you know, I mean, everybody, everybody puts in a huge commitment. You know, I mean, like every, it's not like people work harder than others. I mean, what I'm doing, everybody's doing, you know, and, Mm But the the commitment that our players were putting in, the commitment that my staff and and to constantly go out and get your heart broken by a close loss or get drilled by a, by a, by one of the big boys and like that was the toughest thing because you know I wanted the losing to still sting because I think that's the only way you can change and mm-hmm. become a winner is if the losing hurts that bad and. That's what I just kept telling myself as bad as in knowing that it was a big picture thing and knowing that we weren't ready to win and we needed better talent and we needed to get better and I needed to get better as a coach and all these things. I wanted it to still hurt because, again, the moment to me that you become okay with losing is the moment I shouldn't be coaching because that's not (laughs) what makes me tick. And, you know, I I fortunately got through that. You, What you also realize is that you can get through you know, as tough as times may seem you you get through them and we've done that and we're better for it and we're tougher for it and I think it was a big reason why we won 20 games this year because of going through what we had to go through the first two years very profound I mean I, I can't emphasize that enough I've never really had to deal with losing on that scale but you know I, how you said that you know you, you not losing yourself amidst losing is is a huge challenge it's very tough to do but you guys are obviously headed in the right direction and uh you know that uh, maybe besides doug collins i am your biggest fan and and, and, uh, i am i am pulling for you uh always and i took your advice from three years ago so i now i do have google alerts on my phone so i know i know how you guys are doing i I actually do keep up with you Um, Yes, and you're good about you know i get i get the texts i uh, yeah yeah. You know, as everyone thinks JJ's this uh, heartless guy, and I, I would yeah, right. let the world know that yeah. he, quite contrary, there's no one who has a bigger heart. And, uh, yeah. you know, obviously our relationship is something that I aspire to have with, with a lot of players, but it's just not that way. I mean, you know that. Yeah. I mean, every relationship is different. You know, every, every player coach um, right. and the relationships that I try to have with my players, you try to emulate that, but I know... You know, if in your life you can have a small group of people, if if you can count on one hand in your life the people that you know have your back and are going to tell you the truth and love you unconditionally, if you have a small group of people, you're a lucky guy. And I know we both feel, both know that we have each other, and, right. and that's through 
a lot of a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, a lot of hard work, and uh, obviously something that I really cherish. Me too. Me too. I have to ask you one more question uh, before we get to this week's four on four, because it's something that I've thought a lot about. And your your dad obviously played in the NBA and coached the NBA, and and now does work for ESPN. And I've always thought that part of you would be so great in the NBA. And I don't know if you think that way or if you're just like strictly college, but you know, in the NBA, you don't have to deal with the recruiting and making sure guys go to class. There's all the administrative work that goes in with college athletics. It really is just about, about hoop and, and you love the game so much. And I'm, I'm curious, have you ever given any thought to the NBA and to piggyback on that, what the USA basketball experience and working with NBA players, what has that done for your career? And and uh, has that scratched the itch at all? Well, I mean, it's a great question. And, and yeah, I mean, I grew up with the NBA. I mean, having a dad who was a player and then a coach. Um, I mean, I grew up in NBA arenas and locker rooms. And, you know, I was always one that kind of kept my mouth shut and just listened a lot and listen to great players and listen to great coaches and that's how I learned the game is from being in those you know in those areas and and also you know sitting on the laying on the couch at night watching games with my dad who's obviously was a real successful coach but maybe even a better broadcaster the way he explains the game yeah yeah and so like that's what I had in my house I mean that's how I learned game situations time and score substitutions x's and o's I mean, all those things were, were and, and, and it was all about the NBA game because that's how I grew up. But, you know, for me, I think I migrated to college initially because in my own way, in my own competitive streak, in my own desire to create my own name for myself, I wanted to have my own niche away from who my dad was. Yeah. So I think it was good for me to kind of get into college initially and, and coach in college and kind of create my own legacy for myself because as proud as I, as I am about my dad and who he is and our relationship's awesome, I wanted my own name. I mean, that's just a competitor in you. You you didn't want to be somebody's son. You wanted to have your people to respect you for your own merit. And I think college basketball has done that for me. I love working with the guys at the ages and being a part of a process like we explained with and being through your journey and seeing the end result and becoming a man and all those things. But yeah, I'd be lying to say if you don't think like at some point, because I did grow up with it and feel like I have a handle and they are, they are the bet you guys are the best players in the world and it is the highest level and it is, you know, it is the NBA. I mean, so I never say never to anything. I love what I'm doing. I love being in college. I love being at Northwestern, but you know, certainly, you know, I, I don't think it would be out of the realm, you know, at some point in my career to give that a try. If it came about, we'll see what happens. But, you know, working with USA Basketball was unbelievable experience. Um, you know, for me, I'll never forget being a young coach and Wojo and I kind of being the guys that helped out in practice and doing the drills and breakdown shooting drills and all these things. And I'll never forget how scared I was the first day when Coach K said to me I was going to have a half hour to do shooting drills with the perimeter players, and I needed to come up with drills, and I needed to, to take them through a half hour stuff, and I was all excited, and then uh, your heart goes into your throat when they're calling out the names, and I'm at one end of the floor, and they start calling out LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul, Darren Williams, uh, Jason Kidd, well, you you guys go down and work out with Chris for a while, and they're all looking at me, and and you know this, JJ, like you guys are the smartest guy. You, you guys' yeah. basketball IQ at your level is off the charts. The adjustments you have to make, uh, you guys are geniuses of the game because that's how you live. I mean, you play a hundred games a year. You have to figure out every situation, and and you know this about yourself, and you know this about NBA players. You guys will respect guys as long as you feel like the coach knows what he's talking about. Right. You know, the moment right. the moment you guys feel that a coach is unsure or doesn't know what he's talking about or doesn't you guys are just gonna dismiss us. I mean, that's just the reality. And so I had all these guys looking at me and I'm in my early thirties and my heart's in my throat and these are the best guys in the game and I just kinda said to myself, you know what? I just got to act like this is Duke and I got to be confident and I got to, I got to teach and I got to lead. And 
all of a sudden, these guys are listening to me, and they're following the drills, and they're doing what I'm asking. And that experience alone, I can't tell you the confidence that get, that gave me as a coach. That like Kobe is looking at me and LeBron, and like looking at me for guidance and what should I do and and how should I interact and like I'll never forget those guys. And you know this when you're in game prep and they say, oh, you know when we're playing Spain, what, what block does Powell like to post on? What's his favorite move? What do they go to? And if you don't know what you're saying, you're going to be dismissed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you got to be on top of your game at all times. Mm-hmm. And it was the best thing for me as a coach. It gave me so much confidence. It was an amazing experience. And I think it really paved the way for me becoming a head coach after, after going through sure. the experience of 08 and 2012 in the Olympics. That's fantastic stuff. I actually remember in 2006, I was sidelined with a back injury, but I was part of the, the national team program uh, for a couple of summers. And uh, I do remember that first day and thinking to myself, CC's being CC, like Chris is being Chris. Like the, there was no, there was no hesitation from you. And I think more so than anything, the intelligence certainly is a factor, but the passion and the love of the game is so evident with you. And it's one of the reasons that you're able to get people to respond to you, whether that's, you know, a high school recruit that you're trying to get to come to Northwestern or whether it's the greatest player in the world and in LeBron or Kobe or or whomever for the USA team. Chris, I want to take a second to tell you about Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks are exceptional meats at great prices with excellent customer service. Omaha Steaks deliver it all. Why Omaha Steaks? High quality and one of a kind flavor. Plus, you have tons of options. You can go with beef and bison from the Golden Plains. There's seafood, poultry, pork, veal, lamb. There's even appetizers, veggies, desserts, pasta, soups, seasoning, sauces, and more. And everything is backed by Omaha Steaks' 100% unconditional guarantee. I have a great package being offered to my listeners. Huge savings, and the box comes with a great variety. Right now, when you use my code JJ, you will get 76% off this exclusive package. The package includes two tender filet mignons, two beefy top sirloins, two savory boneless pork chops, four home-style chicken fried steaks, I'm not done, 15 giant Italian spice all-beef meatballs, four award-winning gourmet jumbo franks, four crispy creamy potatoes au gratin, four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets, and one Omaha steak seasoning packet, plus... They throw in four juicy made-from-premium ground beef Omaha Steaks burgers for free. This is just for my listeners. This exclusive package is only $49.99. Go to omahasteaks.com, type JJ in the search bar to get this great deal. That's omahasteaks.com. Enter JJ in the search bar to get this great package for $49.99. Let's get to this week's four-on-four. I'm going to actually let you do the honors this week. We don't have the benefit of seeing the brackets, but for this week's four and four, from an expert like yourself, I want to get your final four predictions, the four teams in college basketball this season that you think have the best chance of making the final four. Well, I, I think what's going to be fun as it is every year, but I think this year more than any, I mean, even last year, there were, I thought Wisconsin, Duke, Kentucky were head and shoulders about everybody pretty much knew they were going to be in the final four. I think this year it's a much bigger pool. I think there's a lot of teams that are going to be able to do it. You know, going through it, the six game, the six game grind of the NCAA tournament is unlike anything else. You know, one night of a bad, like, you know, you, we talked about early the LSU. I mean, you have one bad night, you don't shoot well. And then two hours in the finale, it's over. And even though you've been the best team all year, that doesn't matter. You gotta you gotta find a way to win six games. And you know, I think right now, obviously in our league, you know, I think Michigan State is playing at a really high level. Uh, they have probably the best player in college basketball, and Denzel Valentine, who is a senior. Um, he makes everybody better. Uh, he's a great leader. Uh, they have a great mix of shooting, big men, depth. Uh, the coach is O-Factor. He's at his best in the tournament. Uh, would not be shocked to see those guys there. Have loved the way Kansas is playing. Just think Coach Self does an awesome job. They have veteran guys. They're tough-minded. The Big 12 was probably the best league in the country this year. The grind they had to go through year in and uh, day in and day out to win that league. 
I like what they're doing. You know, I think those two guys uh, are playing at a really high level. As much as it pains me from the rivalry standpoint, <laughs> I think North Carolina is really hitting their stride right now. Yeah. Um, just watching the way they're playing in the ACC tournament. And and they have juniors and seniors. They're old. You know, it's not yeah. like they're, they have a bunch of one-and-done guys. Bryce Johnson's a senior. Uh, Marcus Page is a senior. You know, those guys have been through it four years. I think they're wired and have the depth and the, and the size and the guard play uh, to go really far. And then I think the fourth one's up for grabs. I think you got a lot of teams that are capable of doing it. I know people are, I, I think I even think our Duke blue devils have a chance. They, they have that. They, even though they're the front line is really thin, you know, when you have guys like Grayson Allen and Brandon Ingram that can throw up 30 and can get hot and have that explosiveness, you can beat anybody. But, you know, you got teams like Virginia who are really good. You got teams like Villanova and Xavier. Uh, you got teams like, like in our league, like Maryland and Purdue that I think have, have a chance to go all the way. And, but don't be shocked to have a surprise, a surprise in there. You know, I think it's just one of those years where depending on how the brackets fall and how the upsets fall, I wouldn't be surprised to see a six, seven seed, you know, get to a final four. I just think it's been that kind of year. All right. So your fourth prediction is Duke then I can write that down. Yeah, that's just, you know, with my heart, I got to go with my heart. So uh, I, it's, it's hard for me to bet against coach K, you know, and, uh, I know what he can put together this time of year. And, um, I think they can do it. I think they can do it. They, you know, losing early in the ACC tournament, I think, is probably a blessing in disguise. I think they needed rest uh, just because of their depth issues, and uh, I think they'll be determined. And, and again, those those two guys, you know, Grayson Allen and Brandon Ingram, to me, are are special college players and and have the ability to carry a team. All right. So Michigan State, Kansas, UNC, and Duke is your four favorites to get to the final four. CC, you've been an amazing guest. You've also gassed me up a lot and I really appreciate all the love. <laughs> I feel much more confident after this this last 45 minutes of this podcast. I feel like As I can, you guys listen I can go podcast, do anything. It's going to be a big game against the Cavs since we're taping early. Yeah, I, yeah. I know my guy after this little little session of talk is going to be ready to throw up a big number tomorrow. All right. Well, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for joining us, and uh, I hope you guys make the postseason, and, and best of luck the rest of the season. All right, thanks for having me. It was great. All right, CC. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. Please tweet me at J.J. Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, SeatGeek, Mac Weldon, and Omaha Steaks. Until next week, see ya. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. Find your voice.